Hello and welcome to the BMJS Sexually Transmitted Infections Podcast 2021. And today we come together to honor the World HTLB Day on 10th of November. My name is Fabiola Martin and I'm the BMJ SDI podcast editor. I'm a consultant physician in sexual and reproductive health, HIV and HTLB medicine, and the president of the International Retrovirology Association and the Sexual Health Society of Queensland in Australia. Today, we focus on how human T leukemia virus affects people and review new developments in HTLV treatment and vaccination medicine. HTLV is a retrovirus similar to HIV, which incorporates its DNA indefinitely into the human CD40 lymphocytes. It is predominantly transmitted through condomless sex, but also from mother to child and through contact with HTLV positive blood. Unlike HIV, HTLV causes severe disease only in about 5% of people who live with HTLV. So it is easy for HTLV transmission to go unnoticed. The two dominant HTLV-associated diseases are adult T-cell leukemia, ATL, and HTLV-1-associated myelopathy, HAM or HAM-TSV. It is a pleasure to welcome Ms. Christy Blakeborough, Professor Yoshi Yamano, and Associate Professor Keith Chappell to our podcast today. Christy, hello. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening. Ah, thank you. Could you please tell us a little bit about your scope of work as a HTLV patient advocate? Sure. So I've been working as a patient advocate both in the UK and across the world since 2010 uh, when I was diagnosed with HTLV1. Okay, that's great. And thanks for making time. Yoshi, can I uh, ask you to tell us a little bit about your scope of work as HTLV neurologist based in Japan? Okay, I'm now following many patients with harm TSP and asymptomatic carriers and sometimes patients with ATL. Uh, furthermore, I'm working as the representative of official HAM TSP research group of Japanese government. Thank you so much for this introduction. And Keith, thank you very much for joining us today here in Brisbane. Could you tell us a little bit about your area of work as a vaccine developer? Yeah, so I'm based at the University of Queensland. I've been working in vaccines for the last 10 years, um, working on a whole range of vaccines and different for different viruses. Uh, most recently, we developed a COVID vaccine um, and HTLV is a passion of mine and we hope to generate a HTLV vaccine. Fantastic. Can't wait to talk to you about this uh, more later in this podcast. But starting with Christy. Christy, I think um, we we know each other for a long time. I mean, how long is it that we, we know each other now? I think, Fabiola, it must be getting on for 10 years. I lose the date when I first walked into your HCLB clinic in York when the traditional London clinic had started setting up regional outreach clinics for patients who had been diagnosed with HTLV. And I was one of your first patients at the clinic in York. Yeah, incredibly exciting. It was a huge bonus to have somebody locally looking after me and, and those of us who were diagnosed. And safe to say, we've been friends ever since. That's absolutely true. And what has your journey been like? You know, how did you even find out you were a carrier? So um, before being diagnosed with HTLV, I'd been a regular blood donor, as we have a setup um, 
for repeat blood donations in the UK and I attended a usual blood donation session. And at that point in time, one of the tests that was being run on blood donation samples was for HTLV, for repeat blood donors, which was actually a fairly short time span within the blood donation service. And I was one of a number of people who was picked up that had always been negative and had converted to HTLV positive between two donations. So I was diagnosed that way. I was informed by the blood donation service and was invited to London for confirmatory tests, um, at which point, yes, it was confirmed that I was an HTLV1 carrier. And um, I've been looked after by some wonderful people, either based in London or York ever since. Fantastic. And are you comfortable to tell us how you caught your virus? Absolutely. I'm a huge believer that if we shy away from some of the uh, details of HTLV and any sexually transmitted infections, we're not doing them justice. So I was infected um, through condomless sex. Um, my partner at the time, there was one partner between the, the blood donation sessions. So I was very quickly able to identify where I had been infected and, and who had infected me. Um, and he was also subsequently tested and, and um found to be HTLV positive. Um, so it's one of those messages that, yes, um, we all act as responsible adults to a greater or lesser extent. We all go for our regular uh, health screenings, but there are still diseases out there that are not captured by the regular screenings. And I would like to say it was good luck that I was screened and identified through the blood donor service because I would still much rather know that I have this disease so I can act upon that knowledge than be blissfully unaware of it which unfortunately I think most people in the UK are blissfully unaware of this disease. Because it's not part of a routine STI screening? Absolutely the, the regular STI screenings that you would perhaps go for um, cover a wide range of STIs but not HTLV1. So one message would be that we need to incorporate further STI screenings into the screening tests, including HTLV. And the other thing that I find remarkable is that the moment you were tested positive at the blood donor services, there was a pathway for you. There was a slightly impersonal pathway, it has to be said. There were letters, there was a fairly impersonal leaflet telling me what it might be, but they still couldn't tell me and I had to go for confirmatory testing. I have to say it turned from an impersonal pathway to a very personal pathway once you got involved in my care. I do feel that some people who perhaps English isn't their first language in the UK, perhaps don't have a even a vaguely biological background, which I'm very lucky to have as my degrees in biology, could be overwhelmed by the information and decide not to take their care any further or take their monitoring any further, especially when they're told that there is no cure for this disease. It's a really sad place to be with a diagnosis and very lonely at the moment. And the virus that is very unknown, you know, people don't talk yes. about it. Still, I must say, what I loved about the UK services is that at least there is a pathway or there's a referral way, because I have I get referred a lot of patients worldwide through the htlbaware.com, where people are told they're positive or they have indeterminate antibody tests, but they have no specialist center to be referred to. So it would be wonderful if we could have centers or referral pathways such as in Japan or in UK 
or Brazil where a follow-up appointment is offered to people who are detected to be positive. So I have, I think, one more question for you. What has been the recent highlight for you as a patient advocate on this journey? So I think as a patient advocate, and again, um, as an amateur biologist, um, my recent highlight was being one of the co-signatures to a letter we wrote to the World Health Organization and were published in The Lancet. It's the only time I'm ever going to get published in The Lancet. And then the subsequent meeting that we had that was hosted in Tokyo, um, it felt like the culmination of, on my part, nearly a decade of work on, on some delegates' part an awful lot longer. And that was absolutely amazing. And then the papers that came out of that meeting and the subsequent World Health Organization launch of those papers and bringing HTLV under the wider World Health Organization um, STI umbrella. I think the word I used when we launched was hope. It gave patients hope that we are not forgotten. The disease is no longer ignored. Um, it's still going to be a very long journey because still people don't know what HDLV is, but the fact that the World Health Organization now has it on its radar, um, we're under that wider banner. I've taken part in some World Health Organization events since. That's a huge feeling for us. So going on from that, in your opinion, Fabiola, what should we do next? Well, I'm glad that you raised the WHO you know, topic, which is so wonderful. And I'm also really excited about that collaboration. I think we're all keen for the WHO to set up now a WHO website dedicated to HTLV topic, as was requested in our letter to WHO. And we would love to collaborate with WHO to develop that website. You know, the whole community of patients, scientists and clinicians is really keen for that collaboration to, to happen. And I think this nicely takes me to Yoshi. So thank you, Christy. And now Yoshi, we look after people with HAM-TSB, but do you mind just um, briefly telling us what is HAM-TSB? HAM-TSB is uh, characterized by a chronic spinal cord injury by inflammation uh, resulting in walking disability. Usually many patients become fixed with wheelchair. Furthermore, patients also have severe pain in the legs and bladder and bowel dysfunction. Unfortunately, there is no effective drug for this disease. That's right. And um, still, there is uh, exciting news to come in that you have recently led a clinical trial in Japan called Hamlet P, uh, which is a multi-center trial with prednisolone. Could you tell us why this study is of such huge significance? Uh, for years, uh, people were saying conducting a randomized uh, controlled trial, double-blinded, in HAMTSB is not possible. But in this time, uh, we, we could demonstrate the several important points. Firstly, we could conduct randomized controlled trial with double blinded as a clinical trial, okay? And uh, furthermore, uh, we established a protocol for pre-intervention recruitment phase to differentiate patients who progress at different rates currently into different intervention arms. Thirdly, uh, we could demonstrate a feasibility of a multi-center study for a condition that is relatively rare in Japan. 
And uh, furthermore, uh, we established a protocol for primary and secondary outcome measures. This is the first trial of its kind in people who have HAMTSP. That is fantastic. And when I read the first draft of, of, the, of our study, I was really thrilled and touched because for years and years, we've been told there's not enough patients to recruit, there are not enough centers interested, and, you know, it's not possible to do a double-blinded study. But you showed, you and your team showed that it's feasible and that um, it's uh, possible to do a double-blind study, but also to have a specific recruitment arm where you can look at rapid progressors and provide them with a uh, randomized clinical trial that is specific to them. So that is really wonderful. And thank you, Yoshi, and your team. Congratulations to your patients and colleagues for the good effort and good luck with the publication of the data. Moving on to Keith, year 2020 was, as you know, horrible, horrible for so many people. But I also felt that it was a year where we could show what we can do for humanity. So I think it was an exciting year for you scientifically. Would you please tell us a little bit why that was the case? Yeah, sure. It certainly was exciting and a roller coaster ride. Um, to go back in time once earlier, in 2019, we were all awarded funding from CEPI, the Coalition for Epidemic Preparedness, um, and that funding was to establish a security blanket. So if there ever was a pandemic, we would be one of the teams tasked with producing a vaccine. So we weren't aware um, in this quarter by surprise as much as anybody else. But in the start of 2020, we started producing a vaccine um, using our platform technology, the molecular clamp. Uh, we were very proud of our efforts. We entered the clinic just six months after this um, virus was first detected. Um, and our vaccine was shown to be safe and effective in clinical trials. That is exciting. And um, when you then, you know, look at this new technique that you have, do you feel that we can now use that to develop other vaccines? That's exactly right. Um, this technology is very important because it can be used against a wide range of viruses um, and we, we feel it's important because we're in Australia to protect our region of the world against viruses that are of particular um, importance here. The Indigenous population within Australia has some of the highest rates of HTLV infection around the world um, and also the South Pacific as well. So we believe that we're well placed to produce a vaccine um, to protect our own population and the rest of the world as well. So you're now working on an HTLV vaccine. As a clinician, can I just ask, what do you need so that I can one day offer a therapeutic or a preventative HTLV vaccine to my patients, their partners and children? Yes, yeah, so I think it's important to note that we're at a very early stage in our work. Currently, we're producing a candidate um, and testing in for safety and efficacy in animal models. We believe there's a pathway to both, both a preventative vaccine and potentially a therapeutic vaccine to prevent the likelihood that patients go on to progress to things like um, HAM, HDLV. So we're at an early stage, but we hope to explore both um, possibilities. 
I assume you will never say no to more funding. Yeah, so funding is always an issue for all scientists. Um, it takes a lot of money to generate a vaccine. Um, so I think what's important for HDLV is the awareness. It just by raising that awareness, the importance that message gets out um, to the WHO and other um, entities that, you know, this is an underappreciated disease, but we have a need to produce a vaccine. Thank you so much. And with this, we come to the end of our podcast. So essentially, we need to speak about this virus. We need to raise awareness about it being sexually transmitted and that we need to test for it more widely and easily and reduce stigma. Um, so thank you, Christy, for that. Yoshi, thank you very much for pursuing a massive trial, which we started drafting in 2011, but you brought it to completion with your team and the dedicated patients. And you demonstrated that a double-blind randomized controlled trial is possible and feasible in people with HAM-TSP. And Keith, thank you very much for working with your team on the biggest hope that all HTLV community members, science and clinicians can possibly have a vaccine. So I'm very excited to follow your uh, research progress. With this, I want to thank our listeners for the time and passion to follow BMJ STI podcast. Please follow us on Twitter and Facebook and on SoundCloud. Thank you for listening. Stay safe and goodbye.